what we're doing today is we are actually starting a brand new series called Unfading Hope. We're going to be looking through 1 Peter and uh, hopefully finding some hope for today. And uh, why not launch a brand new series uh, when our lead pastor is out of town? You know, why not? Okay. Anyway, give him a hard time when he gets back. It's fine. We'll carry on um, today. So here's what we got to do. This introduction to 1 Peter, we're calling this series Unfading Hope because we as believers need to understand that we do have an unfading hope. When there are so many things in our world, so many trials, so much suffering, different things going on around the world, different things going on in your personal world, we need to remember and refocus our eyes upon Christ where our unfading hope comes from. And so as we get into 1 Peter, uh, I want to ask a couple questions. First off, you guys can crowd response here. Okay, we could do it. Uh, who do you think wrote 1 Peter? I heard Peter. I heard the Apostle Peter. I heard a lot of chuckle, chuckle, and I'm not trying to trip you up, okay? I don't like when people try to trip me up. I'm not going to try to trip you up. This was written by Peter, all right? Um, 100% well, well done. Now, really quick, when you think of Peter, what's the first thing that comes to mind? At the count of three, just shout it out. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. I heard you guys all said the same thing. It was blah, blah, blah. That's what it sounded like to me. Uh, yes, walking on water, denying knowing Jesus, right? Oftentimes those are the, the two things that we think about, right? What seems like his highest of highs and his lowest of lows. And so what I want to do is I want to go through, answer three questions in the introduction, um, and, and then go through just the first five verses of First Peter chapter 1. That's where we're going to hang out today. Um, the questions are, who wrote it? So we're going to learn a little bit about Peter. Who did he write it to, and why did he write it? Those are the three questions I want to answer in the introduction. But in order to do so, I want to read just a few passages. There aren't slides to follow along on the screen. I just want to read these events to you so we can remember who Peter is, because it's more than just the highest of high and the lowest of low. There's a lot of in-between, and there's a lot that's happened after those moments. And so I'm going to start in Luke 5, uh, verse 1. Um, here, here's what's going on. It says, on one occasion, this is speaking of Jesus, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little while um, from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats uh, so much that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. You will be fishers of men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So here we see this first encounter that Jesus has with Peter, right? Peter has this encounter with Jesus and he immediately leaves everything and follows Jesus, right? If we fast forward by actually going back a book in the Bible uh, to Matthew 14, 
we're going to see that Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He has sent the disciples off in a boat, and he has gone up on a mountain to pray, right? And we pick up the story, um, Matthew 14, verse 23. It says, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, right? I didn't, I didn't see Jesus ask a question. But here we go, Peter. He answers, right? Lord, and he answers anything a normal human being would say in this moment. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. What? <laughs> Why? <laughs> thanks, it's not a ghost. Okay, I'm good. Hop in the boat, Jesus. No, for whatever reason, Peter wants to get on the water. And Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith. You had faith for, for this long. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Right? This is what many of you, the first thing you thought of with Peter was he walks on water. This is that moment where Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water toward Jesus, fixing his eyes on Christ. And the moment he starts to, to sink, Jesus immediately rescues him. Right? If we, if we move to John 18, um, this is a moment where Jesus has been betrayed by Judas and um, guards are coming to arrest Jesus. Okay, so in John 18, verse 10, here's what we find. It says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, doesn't tell us where he got this sword, right? Uh, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Now, either Peter's really good and he was aiming for the right ear, or he was really bad and he missed what he was aiming for, or the guy just dodged. I don't know, okay? Um, Maybe the guy dodged that way, right ear. Yeah, anyway, he dodged that way. So um, he cut off his right ear, and here's some trivia for you to ask your children. Okay, want to be a full-service church? The Bible tells us the servant's name was Malchus. So if you go home and you say, hey, son, what was the name of the high priest servant who got his ear cut off by Peter? They should know, okay? It's Malchus. You're going to know. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Right, so this is not what Jesus wanted to be done in that moment but we find out that Peter is actually the first person to defend Jesus in this moment as he's coming to be arrested. This is the same Peter goes to defend Jesus, right? But if we go down a little bit further in chapter 18, we see what many of us said was the first thing that comes to mind. We see Peter deny Jesus. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, really quick, this disciple is John, all right? John is the one whom Jesus loved. John is the one who was faster, right? Just call yourself John, John, come on. Okay, so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. 
If we bump down to verse 25, it says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, which his name was Malchus, there we go. Clearly he knows, like, you cut off my cousin's ear. I know you're the dude, right? He says this, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Right? And so here we see Peter denying knowing Jesus. And what's so awesome is this isn't the end of Peter's story. Right? I'm not going to leave you here, you know, seven minutes into the message. That's it. Let's pray. We're gone. Okay? There's more to this. Jesus ends up being crucified after this moment takes place. He ends up being buried. Three days later, he resurrects from the dead. And before he ascends into heaven, he goes and he has a conversation with Peter. And he restores Peter, right? In John 21, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And you might be wondering, why did you take so long to go through this introduction of who is Peter? It's because I want us to understand who's writing this letter, right? Who's writing this letter? Because that should carry weight. Peter, an apostle of Jesus, an, an exclusive group of people. And here's Peter writing this letter. Think, think about the people that send you messages or write you letters or leave voicemails or whatever, right? A text message. If you get a text message from your parents, chances are you're going to respond quickly. If you get a text message from your boss, you're probably going to respond quickly, right? If you get a text message from a, a friend or a neighbor, maybe it's not as quickly. If you get a text message from somebody you don't like, it's probably still unread. How many of you guys currently have text messages in your phone that are unread? This, this is my hand. This is me. How many of you have text messages from people in the room that are currently unread, Right? <laughs> Go through this afternoon and respond to some people. But you see what I'm saying. It carries weight. Who is going to have a conversation? Right? It's different if it's your boss versus someone in the grocery store. Do you guys remember grocery stores? Remember when we used to do our own shopping? Back in 2019, that was a thing that we did, right? You went to the grocery store, you picked up your own fruit, okay? Now someone else throws bad fruit in your car and you drive off, okay? <laughs> you, know, you know it's true. So anyway, this is, this is Peter, an apostle of Christ. And it's significant. It carries weight. And I love that the first thing we read about Peter, this first encounter that Peter has with Jesus, Jesus says, follow me. The last encounter that we read about that Peter has with Jesus, Jesus says, follow me. Right? And so even though Peter messed up a lot, he didn't fail to follow. Right? He was, he was faithful in that. One, one commentary said it this way said it's better to be someone who follows and sometimes fails than it is to be someone who fails to follow, right? 
Anyway, <laughs> when I think about Peter's life, I'm drawn toward it. Not because I think I'm Peter. Not because I think I'm going to get out of the boat and conquer all of my fears in life. No, in that story, there were 11 other disciples that didn't get out of the boat, right? Scared to death. Maybe I'm one of those guys. Uh, John, go. <laughs> right? I'm drawn toward it because Peter messes up and God continues to use him. I, I've messed up more times than I can count. More, more times than I could tell you and God continues to use me. And, and that's, that's what I want, right? Peter is an encouragement to me, to the grace of God, to the mercy of God, to continue to use Peter in spite of Peter. And any, anybody in here that's a, a follower of Christ that's had a transformed life, it's an encouragement to see what God has done in and through your life. And what would seem like disqualifications in Peter's life, some of these things he's messed up on, I think God uses stepping stones. If you go further than this in the life of Peter, he's actually the, the one that God uses to share the gospel, share the good news of Jesus with all the Jewish people in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, right? Who's the one preaching? It's Peter. Peter's the one that's saying, here's the good news of Jesus, Jewish people. And if you go forward to Acts chapter 10, who's the one that shares the gospel with the Gentiles, with Cornelius? It's Peter, right? God continued to use Peter after this moment of restoration in his life. This is Peter. This is who is writing to us, right? And, and so hopefully you are encouraged with that as well, to see his life and think about your life, right? There's a reason that God has redeemed you. There's a reason that God is restoring you, and it's not to just sit there, right? He redeems you. He instructs you because he wants to use you. And so I hope that would be a bit of an encouragement this morning for all of us here at Redeemer. So the second question we have to answer, we're still in the introduction, don't worry, okay? If you're an English teacher, I'm sorry. You're like, way too much here. Little conclusion, okay? It's okay, it'll be fine. Peter wrote this letter to Christians who were scattered all around, right? All around what is modern-day Turkey. And he wrote to Christians, he wrote to believers, not people who had yet to give their lives to, to Christ. So if you're a believer today, this is something that you should be encouraged with as well, right? But he, he writes to them, and, and he calls them aliens or exiles or, or strangers, right? Different translation, translations say that, okay? And so these are, are Jewish people that aren't living in Jerusalem, or these are Gentiles who became Christians. And, and I, I want us to think about that idea of a stranger for a second, right? Where this is not necessarily home, right? Or I'm far from loved ones, or I'm far from my home, or I'm scattered around, or whatever. Think about just for a second, Redeemer Church. We're a few weeks into this. We're a couple months into this, what feels like a couple years if you're a part of the setup team, into this already, okay? But we're from different places. Ask the question, how did you find Redeemer Church? What brought you here? Where did you come from? Why did you either leave the church you were a part of before to come be a part of what God's doing or, or maybe you didn't go to church and now you are? Like all of this, we should understand this idea of being strangers, but knowing that God has a purpose, right? God has a purpose. You're not here by accident. And every single week I'm encouraged to meet new people, to uh, continue relationships that have been formed over years or formed over the past couple months or weeks and realizing that we, we should understand this. We get this that we're, we're from different places, but we are here on purpose for a purpose. And, and so what I want us to do is I want us to make sure that today we're finding hope in the Lord, 
as things might be challenging with all of this newness, to find hope in the Lord. And so I think that's why he wrote it, right? To answer the question of why did he write it? Well, in, in chapter 5, verse 12, he says, by, by Silvanus, which is Silas, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Right, so Peter wants to encourage these Christians um, and, and testify to the grace of God and want to encourage them to stand firm in it. And I would imagine that this letter is somewhat of a fulfillment of what Jesus says in Luke chapter 22. When he's speaking about Peter's denial, like we talked about, says this, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Right? I think about this, that this might be an area in which he wanted to strengthen his brothers, fellow believers in Christ in an area where he gets to strengthen more brothers even today. And he wrote this letter because he knew that there were Christians who were suffering. There were Christians who were persecuted, right? And he knew that it was going to get worse. At this, at this point, um, Christianity was seen as just a Jewish sect, right? And so in the Roman Empire, Judaism was an approved religion. Well, when, as they're finding out, Christianity and Judaism are not the same thing. And so it's not just a Jewish sect, it's now its own religion, and it's not approved by the Roman Empire. And so there's going to be more persecution that's going to come. And this ultimately happens under Emperor Nero. And we, we read a passage that uh, talked about how Peter was going to die. Well, ultimately, a few years after he writes this, he dies under um, the, the trials of Emperor Nero. And tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down. Right, see, in, in that day, just as in today, there was suffering, there was persecution. And maybe there's places around the world, actually there are places around the world, not maybe, that persecution is harsher than maybe what we find ourselves in sometimes. It might be harsher in some areas than what it was when Peter was even writing this. But even in a place where maybe persecution or, or suffering looks a little bit different, chances are every one of us in here has, has felt some of this suffering, right? We felt misunderstood by a neighbor, or we felt misunderstood by a coworker for our belief in Christ. Or maybe we've been ridiculed by a family member or ridiculed by a classmate, right? I, I remember having a conversation um, with a friend of a friend that uh, he, he blasted me in judgment over my, my faith in Christ, my love for Christ. And he said, you're getting a master's degree. You should know this. You should know that all that stuff is not true, right? And he just, we had this little conversation and I remember walking away from it feeling so defeated. Like my education, I was supposed to be smart enough to know that this Jesus stuff isn't real. It's so I could be like him because he was smart enough to know that. And I walked away thinking, I know what I believe is true, but I felt like I was beat up in the moment because he was so well rehearsed in what he wanted to say, right? And so in that moment, I could use some encouragement for sure. And so maybe we go through this. We're, we're not immune to suffering. There's pain. There's, there's death in our world, there's sickness, there's hard times. And oftentimes we, we start to think that maybe we're meant to lose hope. And, and we're not. We have an unfading hope. That's why we've called that, this, we've titled this series Unfading Hope. Because our hope looks different than the rest of the world. Right? It's rooted in Christ and that's what I want to break down for us today. So let me pray. And then English teacher, we will officially get into the body <laughs> of the letter, okay? Uh, God, thank you so much for this morning. 
Thank you for understanding who is Peter. Uh, thank you for understanding who he wrote to, why he wrote to these believers. And God, I ask that we would find encouragement today, 2,000 years later from these, from these words. God, I ask that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds to hear from you this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So here we go. First Peter um, chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read it to you. It's on the screen, all right? There you go. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Right, so in verse 1, we see this is, this is coming from Peter, and he's writing to these Christians that are in modern-day Turkey. Right? And right off the bat, as we kind of mentioned, different translations say different things, but we see this elect exiles right, that Peter is writing to. Some translations say God's chosen people living as foreigners, pilgrims, aliens, or strangers scattered. Right? The, the truth is that we've been chosen. Okay? God's desire is to have a people of his own. And in 1 Peter 2, we're going to find out that there are so many promises for Israel that now apply to the church, right? And this was God's purpose from the beginning of eternity. And I get it. There is a very large theological understanding that we just stumbled upon right off the bat, okay? And so here's what we're going to do. John's going to be back next week, and he's going to take care of all of that, okay? No, here's what we're going to do. Um, it is important. It's important when you bring this up. What does it look like with election? What does it look like with predestination? Where is God's sovereignty? Where is man's responsibility? What does all of this look like? And I want to encourage you, like I always do, press into Scripture. Read through Scripture this week. Sit in these verses this week and wrestle with some of these things. Right? But what I want to do is I don't, I don't want to get bogged down in the weeds because I don't think that's the, the sole purpose and focus of what Peter's saying here. I think that the purpose is the word exiles. Do you recognize that you're different? Do you recognize that you're strangers who have been scattered, right? To Jewish people that were, were not in Jerusalem, they would have understood this. And to Christians that are, that are not in heaven, we should understand this, that, that we're to look different. We're to be strangers in this world. This is not our, our home, right? It should look different what I hope for. I should have a different value system than the rest of the world. If the world values money, or if they value stuff, or if they value people, right? It should look different, my value system, as a believer in Christ. And, and here's the kicker, is there's so, so much of me that does desire to fit in, that I, I have to ask myself the question, right? Am I so focused on worldly things that I'm not as useful for the kingdom as I should be, or I could be? Right? That's, that's a question I have to ask myself continually, and maybe to ask yourself that. And say, you know what, I shouldn't be so focused on worldly things. I'm meant to look different. I have to be a stranger. I'm meant to look like a stranger. My life should be strange-er. <laughs> anyway, I didn't do that first service. I don't know why. <laughs> anyway, I, got it. I need to laugh. 
here's your first fill in the blank, all right? Some of you don't know that we have fill in the blanks, so you don't have a bulletin, but some of you have been waiting. You're like, Travis, get to it. Here you go. As Christians, our lives should demand an explanation. If someone were to watch your life for a day or for an hour or for a week, would it demand an explanation as to why you are why you are? Why do you act like that? Why do you do that? Right? Why, why do you love your spouse the way that you do? Because none of the other guys in our bowling league do. I don't know if you're in a bowling league. I'm not in a bowling league, right? Why, okay, so, so many people have gotten married. You haven't gotten married yet and you have great contentment. Where does that come from? Because that looks different than where I'm at right now as a single person. Right? Student, why, why don't you cheat on stuff like everyone else? Liam, why don't you cheat? Because everybody else in your grade cheats on everything. Right? It looks different. Tell me why. Why don't you, why don't you talk the way that we talk? Sorry. Why don't you bleep and talk how we bleep and talk? It looks different. Why? Right? There should be that explanation that's needed. Why don't you worry about the future? I'm so worried about the future. And you seem to have this hope that I don't understand. Explain it to me, right? And this is only going to be desired, this explanation, if our life looks different, if we act differently, right? How are we going to persevere through tough times? And so as we understand that we are elect exiles, it's because of what verse 2 shares. Verse 2, Peter says this, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Right, this is a, a perfect picture of the Trinity. Perfect picture of the Trinity. Because to experience living hope, to experience salvation, all three persons of the Trinity have to be present. Right, we have to understand that we've been chosen by the Father. We've been purchased by the Son. And we have been sanctified, right, set apart and continuing to be made holy by the Spirit. It's so complex, but it's so beautiful. Do you remember that moment when you gave your life to Christ? Maybe it was a year ago, five years ago, 10, 24 years ago now, right? In that moment, it seemed like so much of the emphasis was on me to accept Christ. And then as I've grown a little bit, I start to see, wow, God's hand has been at work in all of this. From, from the beginning, before I accepted Christ, and his hands continue, continuing to be on all of this even today, right? And so I get it. First Peter is so rich. It's so challenging. And there are moments of incredible depth and things that you as a believer just need to read and study through and meditate on and just think about, right? There, there was a commentary um, that I read that shared it like this, right? Because there's a lot of hard things that we got to wrestle with. This whole idea of God's, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, election, all those things. And, and he shared this. He said, as far as God the Father is concerned, I was saved when he chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. As far as the Son is concerned, I was saved when he died for me on the cross. But as far as the Spirit is concerned, I was saved one night in the spring of 1999 as a 12-year-old boy when I heard the gospel and received Christ. Then it all came together. But it took all three persons of the Godhead to bring me to salvation. We can't separate these three ministries. And if you can't tell, that was, that was me, 12-year-old boy, 1999. You can do math. I turned 13 later on in the fall, okay? So I'm not 
maybe as old as you think, but this whole area can be so challenging for believers. But I want to share some encouragement with you from Romans 11. Verse 33, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Right, what an incredible mystery and depth of, of how this all works together to bring us to salvation. What I know is it causes me to take the boasting of self out of it and just to say, I am so grateful that God has chosen me to be a part of his people. All right, so let's continue in verse three. Peter says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right, verse three, three we have to understand something. It, it's, it's very basic, but it's very profound, right? The basics are important. Fundamentals are important, all right? Fundamentals are fun. No, fundamentals are important. Just the other day, I was trying to teach my oldest son how to shoot a basketball, okay? I don't know if we got any basketball players in here, basketball coaches, but I told him to put the, the, the nozzle of the ball in between his first and second finger, right? Put it right there. Put the ball up on your finger pads, not in the palm of your hand, not on your fingertips, just on your finger pads, all right? You feel that? Okay, bring it over here, Jace, and you're going to want your elbow underneath your hand. I was going through the whole thing, right? If you need to be better at shooting, just come see me after church. I'll help you out, okay? But I was going through the basics, and sure enough, he started to shoot better. And then we started playing and he did this again. And I was like, okay, come here, back to the basics. It's basic, but it is profound, right? We have to understand that we have a living hope, a living hope. And here's why, this is another fill in the blank. We have a living hope because we trust in a living Christ. It's completely different from the rest of the world. Completely different, right? It's not clinging to a possibility. I, I hope that I make money in crypto. I hope that my kids get good grades. I, I, I hope that the weather's good tomorrow. We don't know what the weather's gonna be here in Idaho. I don't know. Pack an extra pair of jeans in your backpack, all right? Get a, bring a sweatshirt. I don't know, okay? It's not just in this possibility, right? But it, it's the expectation of fulfillment of promises of God, right? This confident, joyful expectation that we have. Christian hope is based on what has happened in the past that produces a change in the present and helps us to look to the future, right? Past, present, future. A hope that stands the test of time. And it told us right there in verse three why our hope is going to stand the test of time because it's anchored in the great mercy of God and it's anchored in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, right? Paul told the Ephesians that you don't have hopelessness, Right? He says to the Ephesians, he says that, that you were once uh, apart from Christ, far from God, and without hope. As a believer, none of those things are the case. You have hope. You have unfading hope today. Right? And my confidence, my hope is placed in Christ. And hope is, hope is crucial. And this hope that Peter talks about is not just this hope that I'm going to be better, but rather that God is doing a work in me, right? And this is that new birth that he talks about in verse three. And new birth is a perfect um, understanding of this, right? I didn't do anything to be born, right? That wasn't on me, that was on mom and dad, okay? I didn't do anything to be born again, 
That's outside of me, right? Think about when I was a baby, and this is outside of me at the moment of salvation. I have a living hope because I have a living Savior. Here's what one commentary said. It read it like this. Uh, The Christian is as incapable of starting himself on the new life as he was of conceiving himself for his first life. Right? It's so true. Here's a couple things I want you guys to write down in your program about hope. Right? Here's, Here's a little slide. Our hope, three things. It's anchored in the past. It's anchored in the past. What Christ has done for me. What Christ has done for you. Our hope is anchored in what happened in the past. It's active in the present. Every single day, I'm wrestling with things. I'm I'm going to God. I'm taking my hopes. I'm taking my concerns. I'm taking my doubts. Where do I place these things, these uncertainties? This what happens next? It's active, right? And in being active, it's anticipating the future of what's going to happen, what's going to come. And many people, many people have a, a hope for a great future, and rightly so. They have a wonderful retirement. That's, that's going to be a wonderful future. You have great kids, right? You have an incredible spouse that you're best friends with. It's going to be a wonderful future. But will that stand the test of time, of all of eternity, right? This hope that Peter speaks about will. It will stand the test of time, right? But it has to be active now. If our hope is not active now, then why are we going to anticipate it in the future, Right? And so based off of all of this, this, this hope, God's mercy, resurrection from the dead, right, being born again, this is how he, he closes this, this area, verse 4 and 5. Peter says, this hope is to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Right? Our hope is marked out by a great inheritance, That's your last fill in the blank. See, we did them all. Look at that. Our hope is marked out by a great inheritance. And what is the inheritance that we get? The inheritance is is Jesus in the presence of God for all of eternity. That's what you get as a believer. You get to be in the presence of God. That's where you have anchored your hope. But what's so amazing is God then promises more to us as if there was a need for more than that. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He promises that the Holy Spirit will live inside of us, leading us, guiding us, strengthening us, but also as a guarantee of this inheritance that is to come. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you and that should be a reminder of, oh wow, this inheritance is, is coming one day. Romans 8, verse 11, we're promised to have eternal life. Further down in in Romans 8, verse 18, it says this. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. He's promised us future glory, a new heaven, a new earth, free from sin. That's, that's a promise. 
First John chapter 3, God promises that, that we too are going to be free from sin. And Colossians 3 verse 4 says, When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Right? Our bodies ultimately will be glorified. All of this. How incredible. But yet it was already more than enough just to know that we were going to spend eternity in the presence of God. We're going to spend eternity with Christ. But did you, did you catch what Peter said about this inheritance? Three words. He said this inheritance is imperishable. Right? Imperishable, which means death cannot touch it. Death will not take it away. Death will not have the last laugh. Right? Your inheritance is imperishable. Your inheritance is undefiled, which means sin cannot touch it. You have an unfading hope right, is the last one that he says, unfading, which means time will not touch it for all of eternity, right? It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And so as we go through life, and we go through struggles, we go through persecution, we go through suffering, right, it's, it's either happening right now, it's going to happen, or it just happened, right? That's kind of the way life works in these storms, I want to encourage you guys, as Peter is encouraging us, don't lose hope. You have an unfading hope that's anchored in a living Christ, right? And so as these trials come, they're actually meant to refine our faith. And and as we see this, regardless of what comes, remain faithful to God and let's put our hope in Christ. Let Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for an opportunity just to learn a little bit more about hope and how crucial it is to each and every one of us individually as as human beings. We put our hopes in so many different things. And oftentimes many things fade away. uh, Many things fall apart. But God, the hope that we're meant to place in you, Jesus, never will. It will never fade. It is imperishable, It's undefiled, and it is an unfading hope that we have in you. God, I ask that we would be encouraged with this this week as we go through life. And this week, as we press into this passage, I just ask that you would continue to speak to us, continue to open our hearts, open our minds to what you would have for us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.